Hi everyone, it's Joaki Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this special episode, I'm joined by Ethan Levy, executive producer at Network, a San Francisco-based games company behind the hit games like Legendary Game of Heroes. We talk about the topic of founder idea fit and how founders should think about themselves being a good fit for the idea or concept that they're pursuing. But before we go to the episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Hey game developer, are you looking for great new authentic video creatives? Try something totally new with influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific creative content for your games. An Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Get a free video with a purchase of four or more videos. Remember to say that Elite Game Developers sent you to claim your free video. Go to getigc.com to see some examples and get more information. That's getigc.com. All the developers out there that are looking for an easy game server auto-scaling solution should definitely check out GameEye. Choosing GameEye means choosing your players, as GameEye is a platform-independent solution. Game sessions are spread out over multiple providers to ensure redundancy and to achieve the best possible coverage in every region of the world. GameEye is your one-stop shop for all your server orchestration needs. They have many integrations already in place, ready to go. You also can connect to your favorite matchmaker, anti-cheat solution or network optimization tool to their orchestrator and start running game sessions. They provide the APIs for this. Take advantage of automated capacity management and always have resources to run game sessions. Scale when you need it in locations close to your players. Check out GameEye.com, that's GameYE.com, to see what they're up to and to connect with them. All right, we're live. Hey, Eden, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. Good, good to hear from you. So, uh, welcome everybody to this special episode where I'm joined by Ethan Levy, who was the executive producer at Network a San Francisco-based games company behind the hit game, Legendary Game of Heroes. Welcome, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure thing, man. But yeah, before we get started, I'll let Ian give more on his background. And But I, I first want to introduce today's topic. So we're going to talk about game studio founders pitching to angel investors. What can go wrong? What can go right? So Ethan will play the role of curious and ambitious came studio founder and all act as a curious angel investor. So Ethan, uh, would you want to introduce yourself and talk about this idea for this episode and give some context to what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, first, thanks for having me. I know this is a little bit different uh, from, from your normal episodes. I'm not uh, uh, investor. I'm not a, a founder who's had a glamorous exit or anything. Um, the quick intro on me is I've been producing and designing games for about 18 years at this point. Uh, and I currently do two things at Network. Uh, first, I'm the executive producer for the Tetris brand, where we have uh, three products out there live and some other exciting stuff we're working on I can't talk about. And then I also spend uh, some time each week scouting for and evaluating games for our network scale platform. So that's something, you know, uh, listeners of yours who might be a little bit past the stage we're in today might be interested in. Um, it's our publishing program where we have a $50 million partner growth fund uh, where we help scale games uh, with winning metrics using the same user acquisition tech 
the marketing prowess and live ops expertise we use to bring Legendary to over $250 million in revenue and, and growing. So, you know, anybody out there who's got a game with great metrics, but they need help getting to the next phase, they, can, they might want to talk to me about that. Um, so before I was the executive producer of Tetris, I was the lead designer on Legendary, uh, where I worked with some really incredible uh, collaborators. And uh, previous to Network, I started uh, two game businesses at the same time. Uh, one of them was a platform startup that failed and that we're going to talk about today. And the other was a monetization consulting business that was ultimately quite successful. So anyways, uh, this came about because you and I were talking the other day. I used to make a lot of content when I was consulting, and we were talking about things we could do together just for fun. And we were talking about what we'd been working on lately. And you were telling me about some of the pitches you've heard recently and how there are a bunch of mistakes that you keep seeing over and over again. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. And you, you were talking about some of the same mistakes you keep seeing over and over again. And it made me think about my own failed startup attempt from almost a decade ago at this point, and all the things I did wrong as a co-founder from really the moment the company was conceived. Um, in the lead up to starting that company, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, just like this one, uh, a lot of interviews. You know, there weren't as many game entrepreneur focused podcasts at the point at that time, but there was just a ton of stuff online uh, about entrepreneurship, about founding, a lot of online Stanford lectures. And you listen to those and they're basically success resumes from really successful people who've had a great exit. And it makes it seem glamorous and achievable. And you're like, yeah, I can do that. And, and there's a lot to learn from people's uh, successes. And like, you know, this podcast is a great example. Like you have an amazing guest like Christian Segestral and you hear about all their accomplishments and even the mistakes they made along the way sound kind of glamorous since they've just had so much success uh, in the end. And, uh, you know, my story of founding is the opposite at this point. And, and I kind of wish there were more stories about failure. I think there's a lot to learn from failure. So whenever I have one of these conversations uh, and I'll call them like a resume conversation about myself, let's say I'm getting to know someone new, I'm interviewing a candidate, I'm on a podcast or I'm just like meeting another game developer for beer. I might uh, talk about my consulting and talk about working on Call of Duty and NBA 2K, Family Guy, War Dragons, like just talking about the hit games that I played a very, very small part on and puffing myself up. And consulting is a highlight of my success resume. But I don't talk about Quarter Spiral. That's the failed startup I co-founded in parallel. It's, it's a highlight of my failure resume. And I learned a lot from that experience. I mean, like, to, to tell you how much I don't talk about it, it's not even part of LinkedIn anymore. A year and a half of my life uh, uh, trying to make a company work. And it's just like, I, it, it's a, a part of the distant past. So I, I thought it would be really fun to get on this podcast and just talk about being a huge failure. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in seriousness, I, I, I thought it would be a great area of overlap to talk about between us and would be of interest to the entrepreneurs in the audience. Just what are some of the mistakes founders make at the early stages of setting out on their own, building their vision and product and, and looking for investment. Um, and we talked about a couple different topics for today. And the one we decided to focus on was founder idea fit, which is a huge failure for me personally with that experience founding Quarter Spiral and is like one of the most uh, uh, glaring mistakes I made in, tr in trying to be a, a co-founder. And I thought it would be really just uh, cathartic to talk about and helpful illuminating for your audience. Thanks for sharing those, Ethan. I think like you can make progress in, in your career by placing these kind of bets and taking, doing these kind of risky things and you get learnings from those. So I've interviewed like a lot of founders on the show and all of them have had a lot of failures along the way. I would say it's, it's sort of like you cannot really like go forward without doing all the mistakes sort of like or the failures but like I would rather like characterize mistake as like a real mistake being that you don't learn from your failures you sort of fail but you move on without reflecting on what happened so I think that is the, right. the only mistake there yeah it's a natural part of life and of entrepreneurship to fail a lot right 
and it's just it, well, you're, you just have to take a moment and learn. And uh, on that, one of the things when I think back to a decade ago, one of the mistakes I made, um, I tried to start a venture funded company with pretty much no, no network. I, I didn't develop a network of early stage investors and I didn't really understand what the world looks like on the angel or seed investor side. Um, and I wish I had. So I, I'm, you know, is it okay if before, like we jump into the part where we listen to me crash and burn with this fake pitch, sure, uh, yeah. uh, I'd love to ask you some questions just to learn more about angel investing. Cause you know, on the podcast, you're normally the one asking and uh, I, I want to know more about what the world looks like from your perspective. Yeah, I, definitely. This is going to be really interesting. I, I sort of like like to reflect on what it is that I'm doing because I'm doing this day to day and I don't always see things. So yeah, hit me with your first question. <laughs> yeah. What, why did you decide to get into angel investing? Yeah, well, it's sort of like after building Next Games for six years uh, and like also before that, like I was doing another startup for seven years and right. I, I had Iron Star. Is that right? Yes, exactly. It was. Uh, yeah, that you like talk a, about. There are a lot of great anecdotes in your book about it. Yeah, that was like, uh, <laughs> like I would say the only mistake there, the clear mistake was starting that company as a solo founder. I think with, the, with mm. a gaming startup, it is very beneficial to have a lot of uh, founders sort of like taking taking some of the burden, uh, especially as a first time founder, I think it helps so much. But yeah, like, so I started elite game developers, like first and foremost, because I loved to do blogging and sharing my thoughts online. And, and I already had one blog actually before, before I started next games, this was around when I was leaving Supercell. So I was writing for maybe like 12 months or so. I can't find a blog any anymore. It's it's lost somewhere. <laughs> do you have those? Do you have those articles somewhere? Yeah, or is I think the content I just gone. I, I think I do. I I was very blatantly talking about like monetization, as <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, where I, I sort of like like now ten years later, it's so much more about like engagement. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I was already getting to to engagement numbers, metrics, and interest there. But I think like back then it was sort of like the talking about whales and stuff like that was what I was spending time on. But yeah, like just so thinking about elite game developers, it, it's a it's a product that where I want to share uh, a lot of stuff. So I, I had done a lot of mentorship work even before Next Games, and I, I went to these kind of small gaming hubs around Europe, especially in Finland, and talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, which was a lot of fun. But I, I didn't want to make sort of like consulting my next step in my, my career. And I was thinking, what are the other ways to work with founders? And one of the most and interesting and fascinating options for me was be, to become an investor. Because as an entrepreneur myself, I've always felt the interest towards this kind of long-term incentives uh, so I'm happy to go, you know, lean now and build something that has long-term benefits. And I think like entrepreneur and investing as activities are very similar to each other because of these long-term incentives. And I think finally, the it's awesome to see these founders that I'm working with through angel investing, see them build companies. And I'm learning along the way with them as they try out things like, how can you, you know, change how you're operating? Can you can you actually like hire people to to help you do that change in the company into yourself? And there's so many aspects. Uh, I think that's that's the beauty of doing angel investing is to actually like be involved in so many entrepreneurs' lives versus just my yeah, own I, bubble. <laughs> yeah. Right. It sounds like kind of an a, a way to turbocharge your learning because you're you're not just providing money and guidance. You're also getting back from, it sounds like from all the companies you're investing in, Yeah. right? You're living their experience. You're there to coach and, and you get to learn from, from what they're trying out. And yeah. so like you get to uh, kind of learn from the experiences of, you know, uh, 10, 20 founders and, instead of just uh, from yourself in that Iron Star Helsinki bubble. Right? Yes. Yeah. And like, 
just thinking about like what I don't really like feel that I want to sort of like impose myself on people or sort of like build the, the company with them. Cause I, I think that's never going to work. It's their company and I'm there to support, uh, to sort of like bring thoughts from all over the place where I've seen things work, where they didn't work, uh, sort of like share that knowledge and like create more uh, possibilities for people to actually build great companies. Got it. And, and when did you start angel investing? So I wrote the first angel check in October of 2019, which is like a year and a half ago. Uh, that was only 5,000 euros. So I was like, I mm -hmm. wanted to start like with something that was small, but still would mean that I'm now starting this angel investing. And it, it was a founder I didn't personally know, but I knew their reputation and how good they were. Uh, and then what they wanted to build, I, I sort of like felt that, hey, this is actually a really good, this kind of founder idea fit, uh, which we'll hopefully talk more later today. But, but yeah. it just felt like this is a person that needs to be building this thing that they're, they're pitching to me. And that's why I, why I invested. Got it. Just a great uh, passion and experience from them. So how many how many investments have you made since then? I think it's now seven at this stage in early February 2021. I'm constantly looking at new deals. I have this angel syndicate as well that I'm working with, uh, where we have a group of people who pull in cash to deals that I'm presenting. And the syndicate, uh, I'm actually like, just right now looking into like a few few new deals for the syndicate. So I'll probably do another seven this year, hopefully. Got it. So it's been about seven in the first 18 months. You're hoping for another seven. Um, and the first investment was 5,000 euros. What's kind of the range of investments uh, that you make? And can you tell me a little more about the syndicate? I don't, I don't mm. really, I, I've actually heard that like the, the, uh, carpet syndicate in Silicon Valley. I remember hearing in podcasts a year, uh, 10 years ago, but like, uh, what is, what is your investment syndicate? How does it work? Yeah. So like, first off, I started doing these solo investments, which ranged from five to 10,000 euros. But like last year I started this angel syndicate, which is basically a group of people that we have a Slack channel and it's uh, acquaintances and friends of mine who I brought there, asked them to come to the Slack channel. And, and, and you work together on yeah. this Slack channel to pump up the value of GameStop stock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a side project. <laughs> uh, okay, so, yeah. so you, have, yeah. you have this Slack yeah, channel it's... with 50 people from the industry. Yeah. And uh, the idea is that I basically do all the legwork to find a company that we could invest in. And I, I sort of write a, uh, an investment memo where I point out the, the reasons why this is a good deal. And then I, I point out, hey, this is the amount that we're going to be investing. And people can say, like, send me private messages on the Slack channel on like if they want to be involved and how much do they want to put in. So the sort of like the range now is a hundred to 200,000 for this Got syndicate. Uh, so we did this uh, Savage Game Studios in December here in Finland, uh, which is uh, run by Mr. Deconstructor of Fun, Mishka Right, Katkov. I was going to say. Yeah. And that was, so your syndicate was, I, what was the, do you know what the headline number on that was? Like four... 4.4 million? That yeah, it right? was about 4 million the whole round. So, so that was your a syndicate. Great, yeah, we, we, is a, we is a took part. a really small like part of that, of course, but like, because there was already VCs involved. So the ideal place for, for me would be this kind of angel round where mm. it is still in the hundreds of thousands that the company is raising versus millions. Got it. So your your syndicate was kind of a small part in this in in closing out Mishka's uh, round. Normally, you get involved at a much earlier stage. Like, yes, exactly, exactly. Man, I you know to be honest, like, and and I'm not even in San Francisco anymore. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. So I'm like on the east coast of the U.S., uh, yeah. just kind of in 
you know, an emerging tech spot and just Helsinki just seems like this kind of mecca of uh, game industry (laughs) activity and investment. It's nuts to me when I, when I think about how many companies are there and how much activity is there. Yeah. It's, it is sort of, uh, it doesn't feel that special actually to me, like, because I've been (laughs) here always, it's sort of, you know, it is just how it is. And, like people yeah. are leaving bigger companies to start startups. So that kind of like spreading of talent into smaller startups, it's just organically happened. It doesn't like you can't really spot the game industry by just walking on the streets. Uh, right. but- yeah, I just picture every single person in Helsinki works for Supercell or <laughs> seriously. <laughs> or yeah, I think the thing with the Finnish gaming companies is not they're none of them are really big. Like Supercell mm-hmm. is the biggest, most likely with like a few hundred employees, but there's no like thousand employees. It's like, not EA with the giant campus like I used to work at in Redwood Shores. It's yeah. a bunch of like small groups of talented people. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit wondering why it isn't because there would be, the talent would be here. Uh, so yeah, let's see if that happens at some point. Right, Ubis- Ubisoft is listening to this right now thinking about how they start. Yeah. Ubisoft tells <laughs> okay anyway so um back to back to angel investing um when when you make investments right when you're working together you have an investment thesis and there's someone you believe in or a team you believe in you put in a thousand a hundred thousand two hundred thousand uh euros what sort of return multiple are you hoping to achieve like what does a successful investment look like and what's kind of the time horizon you've talked, you know, both in this podcast and obviously your book's co- called long-term gain. So uh, I, I expect it's, it's a very long relationship you're making with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. Uh, and it's, it's sort of like the start of the journey when I'm at this early stage, when it's just the, the founders, like a few, few people, and their idea and they they maybe have written some code already so that it's it's a long way from having a big exit at some point and and it's i don't really think about it that much about this exit so i'm as Mm. an angel investor i think i'm personally happy with like something like a 5x return as well uh so sort of very low it's totally fine uh although like because well, the difference with the, the venture capital fund is that they always need a bigger multiple because they need to first return their fund to their mm-hmm. uh, their own investors, the limited partners, before they start seeing profit from the fund. So with angel investing, you're basically investing your own money. So whenever you have uh, some kind of returns, those returns are immediately like cashed out and you can start Got reinvesting it. them immediately into more companies so that's why i love sort of the angel investing uh right so if you were at like if you were at like a fictional venture capital fund zprg right Mm. you would have rate you would have gotten 20 million dollars from the california uh union for uh bus drivers from their pension fund yeah and you're investing that money and you have a time horizon where like you've promised in 10 years to give them a return. You're not mm. working with those constraints because it's your own money. Yes. And even with the syndicate model, which is sort of similar to taking money from other people and investing it, uh, it's always a case by case investment. So the time horizon is sort of like case by case as well, mm. which which makes it sort of, it's, it's a lot more sort of less, you're a lot not working as, as many many variables and thinking about like how how am i moving this money around what's going on right you're not thinking okay i'm in year six of this 10-year fund i really believe in this company but it's going to take another 10 years for them to exit like i can't Mm. even afford to to back them right you're you're free to back in things you believe in yeah but like going back to your question about these multiples like if you're asking from a standpoint of what kind of business would I back? Like, you know, would I back something that could have a 5X return? I think that's not really the case. I, I'm i more thinking about this kind of exponential growth idea because mm-hmm. I, I built my career in free-to-play as you've uh, sort of like gone through that, yeah. that career path as well. So knowing that in free-to-play, things can actually go exponential all of a sudden when you have a, a great game that 
can scale through profitable user, user acquisition. And that sort of leads more, there's bigger likelihoods to lead to a bigger exit versus a smaller one with these kind of companies. So that's, that's sort of a different mindset there versus like what kind of multiple I want. Got it. Yeah. So it's, it's a combination of you're investing in the space and in founders that you're familiar and have some expertise with and that you have uh, that, you know, there's a chance for exponential growth, right? Like, yes. uh, uh, sorry, what's Mishka's company? Savage? Yep. Savage Game Studios. Savage Game Studios, right? He's, he's doing a shooter with his team. And there, you know, from your experience that like, a really great free-to-play shooter can be the next Garena Free Fire. Sure. And so it could be enormous, hundreds of millions of people playing per day. And that's kind of the, the because you have experience in that free-to-play uh, realm, you're thinking more about um, uh, what you're familiar with, where you can add value, what, what has that potential for exponential growth and not oh, I need a minimum 5x return out of this in four years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So how many, uh, you said uh, you've done seven investments in about 18 months. You're going to do maybe six or seven more in the next 12 months. How many, how many of these pitches are you hearing in a, in a typical month or how many inbounds are you getting? Well, I would say it's probably 50 to 100 new startups reaching out to me every month. And because where, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it starts, (laughs) it starts to be a lot because there's of course a lot of back and forth there with each of them, because the first message usually doesn't really reveal everything. So uh, where that kind of like leads down to is that like the pitches, they range from all sorts of games, all sorts of tech related to games and some pitches that aren't even related to games in any way. Uh, so I, I'd say that I, what I always want to do first is ask for a pitch deck and to play a, their game, to figure out what they're building and sort of like understand what's going on with my own sort of like expertise of being a founder to, to sort of like, do I, do I take the call with these people? And I think it's probably like 25% of the, the, the people reaching out to me every month get to have that call because uh, I, I, can, I can spot a lot of things from the deck and uh, the game already, which could lead to just, you know, let's continue doing emails before, before I understand that this is actually yeah. something I, I still want to talk about. That's still, that's not, that's a huge amount. Like it, a huge mm. amount of work. It, it surprises me that this podcast comes out, to be honest, yeah. when you're fielding oh. um, all these <laughs> up to a hundred a month and doing, you know, 12 to 25 follow-up phone calls. That's crazy. And how are, how are uh, these uh, entrepreneurs finding you? How are they get getting connected with you to even be able to send you a pitch deck? Yeah. It's like predominantly LinkedIn messages. I think it's a great format for for communication because uh, then that's sort of like my inbox and I move the discussion from there to email and then that sort of works really well at the moment yeah. and and what do you look for in a good pitch what you know a hundred in a month what makes yeah. one company stand out against those other 99 yeah I think the first thing is to look at the the founder's commitment and ambition level that's really hard to look for in a deck uh, mm-hmm. But I try to sort of spot it through like what they've done so far. That's like, what oh, tech... they used yeah. man rope as their font. They're very ambitious. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the first thing. Look at the font. <laughs> uh, but it, it's sort of like how much back, like, you know, homework they've done already regarding the, the area that they're targeting. Does it really reveal that they want to, you know, surface that kind of stuff? Because uh, that, that shows commitment. And for the ambition level, uh, I, I don't really, I don't really like the slide which says like gaming is a hundred and eighty billion dollar market. Mm-hmm. That's not an ambition slide. Uh, I'd say that's it's a, more that's about, a factoid you pulled off the internet. Yeah, <laughs> the, the ambition level is is what are they planning to do and how big is the the plan that they're going you know after and mm-hmm. then. Like, is it something that's credible for what they've done before? And can they actually pull it off? 
Yeah. Uh, You know, in in your book, you talk a lot about a company's mission and the importance of a clarity of mission. Um, Do you think that the mission, one, is a mission statement, something that that founders are sharing with you? And two, does, do you think that like a real mission statement, that's not the equivalent of uh, gaming is a $180 billion industry, but like something that is really meaningful. Do you think that speaks to a founder's ambition? Yes. Uh, it's one way to look at somebody who's really like done their homework. So if the mission talks about uh, we're going to revolutionize how games are made, uh, that's like, so it's, it's a bit weird to, to kind of like give a mission statement, which is more about like how about your craftsmanship versus serving somebody. I, I really love the, the mission statements that talk about serving an audience, mm-hmm. uh, like having a purpose for the company to exist in the world of gaming. I yeah. think that's, that's awesome. Have, having a great mission can like fill your team with, with just hope and, and uh, like a purpose and br- bring it to something that's more than like, I'm working to bring a 5X multiple to the investors of this company. But like, that's not why mm. I go to work. I, I go to work to make great games that make people happy, right? That's, yep. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and finally in that, that kind of like, pitch that i'm looking at is like so what are the risks in what Mm -hmm. they're going after and am i sort of comfortable with the unknowns and these risks uh because there are usually a lot of risks with first-time founders who are uh trying to build a venture-backed business what it really boils down to you're going to be 20 people at some point and you need to be a capable ceo who leads 20 people uh through kind of like really like fast execution and executing on the right things versus the wrong things and pivoting quickly. And that those are usually the biggest risks for me, like how companies fail is just, you know, not having the right people at the helm. Right. Is this person a leader? Are they committed to their idea? Do they have a clear idea? Are they do they have the right ambition? Are they flexible? Will pe- will people follow them? You're you're trying to figure yeah. out if, if people can, you know, replicate the the success you've had at, at Next Games if if they have what it takes. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how many conversations uh, do you typically have with the team from first pitch to making the investment? Right, I've I've made it past the gauntlet of a hundred LinkedIn messages. Uh, we've had a we've had our first phone call uh, after some email exchange. Like, how many how many more times do you think we're talking uh, before you feel comfortable and ready and you present your investment memo to your um, fellow members in your syndicate? So it's probably at least five. So I, I talk to to a lot of people close to the founders, do these kind of reference checks. I think that's the only way in the early stage to know that you're that everything is okay as it's said to be okay. You can't really look at, uh, you know, agreements, paperwork, what's like in the board minutes or whatnot, because there's nothing there. So right. you want to do reference checks. That's the only way to know. So I, I asked some people uh, for thoughts on the space that the, the company is going after. If, if it's not like hundred percent familiar to me, and then usually that leads to an investment decision, possibly in a week of starting that kind of work. Sometimes it takes longer. If there's a lot more people I want to talk to, mm-hmm. uh, I, I could even take like 10 calls uh, if needed. Right. But yeah, I, I usually do mention in the first meeting that if, if, I'd, if, if it's positive that I'm going to you know, pursue an investment here or not. So I don't sort of like, like to leave people hanging on. Right on the hook if if i don't really like signal well enough in the first meeting like what does this feel like that's good you're not you're not killing you know bleeding people to death with like soft yeses you're giving them very clear this is for me this isn't for me yeah when you're when you're going for references are you asking the people themselves are you saying can you give me a list of, of people to talk to that you've worked with or are you doing your own research or working through your own network yeah, I, I usually ask for references. Uh, I try to look at the network if we have common friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not always actually possible. It's uh, at least, well, let's say in Finland, it's easy because everybody right. knows everybody. But if I go and 
I'm but looking if you at have company, a, yeah, in it, the U.S., for instance, it's right. usually not the case. Right. If you're like looking at a founder in Mumbai with a great demo, you might not have any connections to anybody no. that's worked to that person that founded yep. before. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and so once you've made an investment, once you've made that commitment, what does your involvement with the company look like? So I usually like to be kind of like pulled in by the founders. So doing like WhatsApp messages, biweekly check-ins, that's all good. Uh, but I don't want to force myself on the company and I don't, I don't want to, you know, take a board seat or anything like that. So I'd rather be this kind of helping hotline for mm. the founders. Got it. So it sounds like really a, a pretty, for the right uh, team or the right person, a, an amazing partnership, right? Uh, you're, you're investing in these founders, you get to learn from them and it's not just money, uh, but coaching, to help them succeed. And you've been on this journey. You've been on the journey of raising money and shutting down a company. You've been on the journey of raising money and taking a company public. So I think like if you're a game industry founder, like there's so much that could be learned from just, you know, a phone call every other week. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's the situations change so quickly and, you know, it's good. All right. Wow. That was, I mean, that was amazing. Like, Already, that was maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of, of, of questions. I am infinitely more equipped to have done the thing I did 10 years ago. <laughs> it kind yeah, of man. amazes me just going yeah. through that kind of like how little I, how little thought I put into this, uh, into mm. that like uh, stage of how do you go from three people with an idea to three people with an idea and a runway. Yeah. Um, all right. So now we're past the fun part. Now we're going to yeah. get to the painful part uh, for me, at least. So we're going to pull <laughs> yeah. some, so we're going to give me a root canal here. Um, yeah. You, you said that your first investment was a great founder idea fit. Can you explain? And, and that's what we want to talk about today. Yeah. So what, what is a founder idea fit? Yeah. I want to see that the founder is the right founder or the co-founding team is the right team to build the particular startup. Like if you're doing hyper casual, do you want to have founders or you, you, you do really want to have these kind of founders who obsess about the core gameplay, the second second, about this deep core experience, like mm-hmm. in hybrid casual as well. I think that's, that's very, it's, it's sort of like a must. If you're doing a battle royale, uh, can you explain why, Suba isn't doing as well as Brawl Stars, for instance, right. like these kind of questions. That's how I try to dig into the founder idea of it. And, and similar with it's, it's sort of market knowledge is, I would say, at the top of the, the founder idea fit sort of like gauging for me mm-hmm. uh, and like the inter, inner workings of the games that you're planning to build. So yeah. like if, if like you'd ask, like, why does this really matter? Because I've seen teams rapidly developing a game soft launching it and getting day one numbers of like 30 percent and they go like oh okay let's move on to the to the next game so i that happens right. a lot and i think the the founder yeah. idea of it is is sort of like you know about being a bit less wrong about like you know why things aren't working versus like everybody else uh, uh like I'm, I'm comfortable with like backing people who who are sort of like not 100% sure, but they're at least, you know, having some sort of understanding of what is going on, why 30% and not 40 or 50. So I think that right. that will always be a competitive advantage that I want to sort Got of it. back somebody. Yeah. So, so you're looking not only for, is this idea an idea that can, that I believe in, that can have exponential growth, but is this person or is this team the right people to pursue this? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, just like tying it to my failed startup from a decade ago, um, just thinking about it through the lens of founder idea fit makes it really clear some of the obvious mistakes uh, we made as a group and, and I made from, from the moment we started talking about yeah. from, from the very second um, it, that, that we started this idea uh, looking at it through that lens of founder idea fit uh, we were, I was doomed. 
right? The other two kind of made sense, but for, for me, it didn't. And so we're just going to, for the listeners out there, uh, go and replay a moment uh, from like my, one of the greatest moments from my failure resume, right? So we're going to go back to 2012. Um, and I, I don't even know if I can find the keynote slides anymore, but I'll try and very quickly explain the team and company I would have pitched to you at that time. And uh, the important context about the market is Facebook gaming had been the hot new thing. Um, you know, Zynga had happened. Playfish selling to EA had happened. Uh, whatchamacallit selling to Disney. Playdom had happened, right? Like Facebook gaming, social network gaming had happened. Free to play was like, free to play was here in a big way, but, but social network gaming was on the descent and mobile gaming and mobile free to play gaming was really at, on the rise at that point. And at, the, at that time, Flash was still alive and kicking, but, it, but again, it wasn't part of the hot new thing. And, you know, we're talking 10 years ago, so it's not the me who's like, oh, I was a lead designer on Legendary and it did $250 million in revenue and it's still going on. And blah, like, I didn't have the big success. Uh, I had had eight, nine years of experience. I'd produced Dragon Age Legends, which was a, a free-to-play Dragon Age-themed social network game um, that uh, was not a financial success. I left EA with the platform team producer I partnered with, uh, Alex. So in this pitch, he's taking the role of CEO and I'm taking the role of kind of product and evangelist. And we're starting a company to build the backend platform that makes it easy to run free-to-play games. And very important, the way we're pitching it, we're saying, first, we're going to build it on Facebook, and th then we're going to build it on mobile, right? Um, and so this is friends list, account management, guilds, tournaments, leaderboards, achievements, currency. Um, if we'd been smarter at the time, it would have been about tools for live ops and gotcha, but we weren't that smart at the time. But this company doesn't sound too much different from what uh, Playfab uh, was and became. And, you know, Playfab is a great tool that, that thousands of game developers. Um, but so my co-founder uh, ran the team that built the technology that powered Dragon Age Legends. And at EA, the plan, or like the way we built it, it was meant to scale to many different social network games, uh, but that never came to fruition. And our third co-founder uh, was not part of our team at EA. He was a Rails engineer that the CEO knew. And the three of us like met and talked and did a, like a little project together. Um, and it seemed like a good fit. But so like your book talks about builder and seller. If I could say the three of us, uh, the CEO was the architect, I was the seller and the engineer was, was the builder. Um, so do you think that gives you enough of like the grounding of, of kind of what the company I was pitching in 2012 would have been? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I believe sort of like in the way that I would, you know, get pitched on LinkedIn, uh, I would definitely be curious to hear more since you already had made a, made a big career in, in gaming and you knew, you already knew how messy games right. industry can be. So the credible team that you would have had there would have definitely sparked my interest. Got it. So already, thanks to the collective experience in the games industry, we would have at least gotten past uh, the like rando stage of person reaching out to you on LinkedIn. We had enough credibility that we probably would have gotten. Um, yep. So let's pretend we just did that. I just pitched Quarter Spiral to you. And let's just show our listeners what sort of train wreck can happen from this 2012 Ethan who does not have founder idea fit with the thing he's trying to sell. Mm. Um, that's, that's, you know, I, I don't know how long these, these calls with you go, but like, I, I think that if we just focus for like five ideas on founder idea fit, we can highlight something that a, a budding game entrepreneur really needs to focus in on, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think like the first thing I would be curious here is like since you've already you know done 10 years as a career in, as a game designer and producer so why why are you doing this shift to platform <laughs> like what what is the the idea here yeah so you know alex and i worked together at ea we had a really good partnership really great chemistry he's a very smart guy and i kind of i believe in him and um uh, we just want to continue to working together so we were talking thinking about uh, what we can do as a next step that we believe in. 
And we feel like this platform that, that his team built at, at EA was just underutilized, right? Um, our group had a vision for like building this scalable platform that hundreds or thousands of games, uh, free to play games on Facebook could be powered by. And we ultimately did one game on it. And so kind of, we want another swing at the bat. We want to try and uh, bring that idea to life and, and build that scalable uh, platform that's the business engine for free-to-play uh, Flash games on Facebook. Right, right. And your, your technical co-founder, like, was he a, a key engineer at EA? No, uh, uh, Torben was not part of our, our team at EA. He's someone who's known Alex a long time. Um, and he's this really talented, very fast Rails engineer. Um, but he's outside of the game industry. Uh, but we, we did kind of a pilot project together to just prove that the three of us have some chemistry. Uh, but, okay. but no, he wasn't part of building that platform at EA. Yeah. How many engineers do you think it'll take to bring this product to market? Like first, first sort of like product market fit? Yeah, you know, we're, we're working away at it right now, but it, I, I think it's probably eight people for a year to, to bring something to, to game developers that's of like such obvious value um, that, that it's a no-brainer to sign on. So I think, I think uh, eight engineers uh, plus the existing, you know, a- Alex and me to give the, the product design and the architecture, um, that'll, that'll bring us to what I would call like V1 of the quarter spiral. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I would definitely want to ask you here, like, so out of curiosity, why would you be starting with Facebook games? And do you think that this is where the big market opportunity is right now? Yeah. I, I mean, this is a really great question, right? Uh, uh, we, we all know that like mobile, mobile phones are kind of on the rise right now. Uh, but like, there's two parts of it. One is, you know, there's this flash game developer community where there's just thousands and thousands of games out there. And, and, and we've already done this thing of taking a flash game and building the back end to it and putting it on social networks. It's very familiar for us. Um, we think that's kind of the quick win. And then, you know, the, the back end doesn't care if you're on flash or if you're on a mobile phone. Uh, so like once we've got it stood up and we can get our first customers on, it's really not going to be that hard for us to bring it to mobile and, and mobile is where we see the long-term growth, but, but, uh, f- uh, flash and Facebook is, is kind of the easy place for us to. St- yeah. Uh, uh, have you already talked with developers like these flash developers and gotten excited about this platform and are they planning to, to use it when it's ready? Uh, you know, we've got. We've got a few indie friends in the Flash game community, you know, people with really popular games on, on like Armor Games or Congregate. And, and they, they've agreed to integrate it and, and put their game on Facebook with us once we get to, you know, the milestone two that we showed you in the, in the pitch deck. Mm. Yeah, and just to the listeners, this is 2012. So I would ask a revel- relevant question. What about <laughs> mobile, which is now coming up? Right. Yeah. We don't, we don't have any mobile integrations lined up yet. Uh, like I said, we're just kind of focused on social network and, and flash right now. Yeah. But so, you know, it's back end yeah. technology. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the client is. Once you, once you've built the leaderboard, it's going to work on, on mobile. It's going to work on Xbox. You know, it's, 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 that, that's the part we're building. Yeah. Do, have you, have you engaged with the developers on the other platforms like mobile? Like, do you know, that there's any specific needs there? Um, you know, in the past year and a half since since I left EA, I've been consulting a lot as well on free to play, and it's been both social network and mobile. So I, you know, I've worked I've worked on a bunch of mobile games at this point. Um, talked to a lot of mobile game developers. We, we as a team, we haven't built any ourselves, but you know, I'm really confident that like you know, currency system is currency system. Leaderboard is leaderboard. Gotcha is gotcha, right? So I, I know it's it's somewhere we're a little weak, but it's a natural next next step. I'm, I'm not afraid of it. Yeah, it, it's this is really like all good information, but I, I'm sort of like going after this like traction, some evidence that you're going after mm-hmm. the right thing here at this mm-hmm. stage. I know it's early, but like, do you have any proof of, of game developers being excited for about this platform coming up and how how are you going to get those developers to shift from what they're using right now to actually use your platform 
Um, well, you know, I, I've been, I've been doing a lot of uh, pre-evangelizing, right? Like I've been, I've talked like at four GDCs a year, every year, you know, in Europe and China and, and, and the US and, and LA. And I'm writing on Gama Sutra. I've got all these, these posts on Gama Sutra that get uh, 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 promoted, get featured and just evangelizing free to play and starting to build the word of mouth uh, for Quarter Spiral. Uh, you know, and that's Has kind there... of going to be my tactic going forward, that sort of evangelism role. Has there been people who've been reaching out to you about the platform? Uh, you know, <laughs> not not yet. I, I've gotten a lot of uh, consulting customers. It's it's helping with the burn rate, but uh, uh, I don't think I'm being specific enough about the platform that we've gotten any. We don't have any customers, mobile game customers waiting, waiting in the wing now. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, I think this would be the point where I would give some feedback about the idea. <laughs> but like I would say, like, did we make it? Did we make yeah, it this far into the pitch without getting I, thrown out? <laughs> I think like it's it's total. Uh, it's not too far fetched from something that I would be pitched nowadays. And I think the the thing is that it's like, have you done something similar before? Matters a lot because then you'd know what you're getting into at least a bit that sort of you have all that knowledge already accumulated from building tech platforms or game developers. And then secondly, like, uh, how, do you already have traction on something regarding what you're going to be doing? Like, have you worked on a platform recently? Have you done anything? So if those both are sort of like very weak, then it would be, Like I, I try to give that feedback directly of when I pass on a deal, mm -hmm. that like this is what why I'm doing it. But like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how, was... how this was for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, it's kind of fun because th that that fake interaction we just had is yeah. actually um, very similar to like one of the three or four real pitches that I had. And just mm -hmm. think about that. Like, again, going back to like not having a network at the time, we worked on this thing and I was, you know, for a year and a half and I was able to get like three pitches together. And, you know, maybe two of them were favors to a family yeah. member, right? So that was, I mean, it was, it was fun to read, like to kind of, because it's funny at this point, but it was brutal. It would, that was, that was hard. Like that was maybe five or 10 minutes. And there are so many red flags in there that show yeah. that we don't, don't have founder idea fit. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is that way. But like, I would and say, this isn't far fetched yeah. for you. This, this resembles interactions you have nowadays. Y yeah. Yeah. Well, every day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's yeah. Cause I think the, the big thing is like, you can do so much homework as a, as a founder before you go and pitch to investors just you know ask what the investors are looking for how do they how do they look for something that you know is attractive what is attractive for investors who know this space and you can ask you know a friend for those answers to those questions i think that's people skip that phase and just start pitching mm -hmm. when when they have something but like uh so yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it. tough it's tough it's it's funny i um out of uh, just curiosity when we were when we were talking about this topic, um, I went and looked through my Google Drive for some of the old quarter spiral documents. Yeah. And I found uh, something we did because the three of us parted very amicably. You know, I'm still, Alex is, is not that far away uh, and we're, we're still friends. And, yeah. and before we wound down quarter spiral, we did a postmortem, right? And almost word for word, I said, you two should have started this company, but it shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been on the founding, right? Mm. Like it should have been you two, three or four other engineers focused on mobile. That's, that's a game company that should have existed and, and should exist and, and could go big. And just like, I'm not a service person. I'm a games person. I've built games for 10 months, what 10 years, what am I doing here? And yeah. um, like thinking about it now through this frame we've been talking about, it took me a year and a half to figure out something I could have known 
before I said yes. And that was, do I personally have founder idea? Not only should this company be built, but like, do I need to be a part of it? And if I'd heard this podcast, um, I probably would have like spent one night with a pad of paper and like a cup of, uh, of Four Roses bourbon. And yeah. I would have gone like, oh, you know, hey, Alex, I was thinking about it. And like, I need a break from EA and I want to start a company, but this is not the company for me. So if, if this yeah. is the company you're going to build, I, I'm not going to be a part of that. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. So just, just to wrap up the, the idea of founder idea fit, what are some of the questions you suggest someone who's listening right now, think about starting their startup, you know, the entrepreneurs in the audience, what are the questions they should ask themselves before taking the plunge to figure out if they have founder idea? Yeah, I think there's, I, I was thinking about like this founder idea fit recently, and I sort of thought about these three things that you can ask yourself. So first off, sort of what is required to execute this idea? Like you need to know what is required. Uh, and if you don't, if you think you know, you could ask somebody else who's familiar with the, the area that you're going into on like what is required to do something like this. And you'll get like, you get a lot, a lot of more knowledge that you're, you're definitely going to need down the line so you can prepare. And the second question that I would ask for the founders to think about this, like how do you pivot to an adjacent idea if needed. So basically you're doing a certain kind of game, for instance, let's say you're doing a shooter game and it's not working, where do you pivot? Uh, it should not be trivia maybe uh, <laughs> or match tree, but rather like how, you, how can you, you know, use what you learned, what you built already with the shooter. Maybe you go into, into another another action-based game which is more simple uh, quicker to execute on uh, but you're not sort of like throwing away what you already built so this is also the the founder idea fit so that you kind of like stick to something that right. where you're gaining learnings and the, the third one is like how to get other people excited about the opportunity so that it's it is part of your identity already thing that you're going after that it's easy to talk to co-founders and convince them about this this idea and make them also believers part of the cult so i think that's that's the third third thing i want to mention that's that's perfect i mean just very succinct and, and like i just said like if i had sat down with these three questions and a yellow legal pad and a pencil and like a glass of bourbon i would have the first one would have stopped me right because i had the i, I would have said uh, this idea takes eight engineers and 12 months. And I would have yeah. said, oh, we have one engineer and not 12. Like, we, we can't build this idea. What's yeah. an idea the three of us could build? So these, these three questions are, are perfect. Like, I uh, wish, wish I had them in my arsenal uh, back in 2012. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Wow, that was, th I mean, that was fun. That was painful yeah. and fun and kind of hilarious. So just thank you for yeah. going. Thank you for like uh, being my therapist for this this past hour. <laughs> yeah, this was great. Man. Thanks, Ethan. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. But I, I have to ask the final questions here for you. Oh, I get the, the real, I get time. the questions like a real, yeah, because like a real, you're the guest. first, yeah. Yeah, it's the first time you're on the show. Like if you come on the next time, I don't need to maybe ask them again. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I do. But yeah, uh, what's your favorite book and why? Uh, this one, this was hard for me. Um, I'll I'll give one, and maybe next time I'll give I'll, I'll give a nonfiction one, and then maybe fiction if there's a future time. Um, yeah. But Steve Martin's Born Standing Up. Um, I love stand up comedy. I love hearing about the careers of stand up comedy comedians i think there's a lot of parallels actually to game developers and game designers and steve martin is one of my artistic heroes um for like being uh just such an amazing prolific artist and success in so many different fields being it, at his time the top comedian in the world being a huge movie star being a grammy winning uh musician and playwright and it's just an an author like I, I, if I can, I, I aspire to do one tenth of what he's done, right? And so yeah. his book, Born Standing Up, it's funny, it's very insightful, it's truthful, it tells about the struggle with his family 
and like the pain growing up and between his father and the years and years of hard work to become at, at the time the top comedian in the world and um I just love like the inspiration, something that this I think is very relevant as a game developer is pulling inspiration from everywhere, from day-to-day interaction from, with real people and the different things you're interested in. So like for him, whether it's magic or banjo or just like the weird people mm-hmm. he knew working in Disney World all turned into like iconic jokes and bits in the future. Um, yeah. And, you know, like it might be if if you don't know like the in the real in-depth of his career you might think like oh steve martin he was in some funny movies that i've seen but like he was the most popular comedian in the world and he walked away from that career it would be like if kevin hart or tiffany haddish today was like i'm done i'm done with stand-up forever and they didn't do it or talk about it for the next 25 years so it's just i don't know it's an amazing book and i i do read it probably every two years that's an interesting one. Yeah. Do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? Yeah, I, um, this was this, I, I had a bunch. Uh, I think the one that like literally applies to how I'm working today, like this day, this week, and, and a lot of my career. Um, and I think where a lot of my success has come from a game as a game producer, um, the, the second job I had in the game industry was at PlayFirst, making casual downloadable PC games, uh, mostly for women, uh, mostly 35 and up. So this was like not the audience I was a part of. Um, And it was my first time, like, it was was my first time doing more than grunt work. And it was my first time like uh, reaching out to an audience beyond myself and doing like design and production work. Um, Anyways, there was was, like, in my first couple months there, um, the creative director for the studio, Kenny Dinkin, had an offsite at his house, and he was talking about a vacation he'd been on where he'd gone, I, I think somewhere out near where I live right now, and was like, um, I was on this beach, and it was just filled with hundreds and hundreds of tourists bent over, inspecting the ground, looking for shark's teeth. Just these beautiful, they would find these beautiful jewel-like shark's teeth. And they were so beautiful. And these people, I looked at them and I said, like, this is our audience. They're right here. They're doing something, a novel activity. I wish we could make a game about this. This would be perfect for our players. And um, something in me, you know, I know a little bit of coding. I can work in Game Maker Studio primarily. Um, and, and, you know, this is 17, 16, 17 years ago at this point, but like I took the weekend, I'm like, huh, shark's teeth. I bet I can do something. And like, I made this little prototype and I brought it in on Monday where like there's sand and a wave comes in. This is all just art. I clipped off the internet and like Photoshop poorly. I can't, I can't draw. And your mouse cursor was a little brush and you brushed away sand and you were looking for seashells and shark's teeth. And when you found a shark's tooth, it would make this great like da, 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 trumpet noise. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I brought this, this like, this like three months into my first real full-time game industry job, right. Before this just QA and like intern and like fetching did. So like, yeah very very early on and, and i grabbed kenny and i'm like kenny i want to show you this uh i i did the shark's tooth thing and like i showed it to him he sat down at my desktop he like brushed away the waves came in he found a shell to do he found a shark's tooth to do he was like oh my god this is amazing shark's teeth and like <laughs> he went immediately <laughs> to the CEO's office and was like, John, you have to look at this. And John came over and looked at it and he's like, he's like, it's that thing I was telling you about. It's shark's teeth. Like it, this is the game, right? <laughs> and so literally within, within four months of starting my first full-time job, they're like, Ethan, we're going to make shark's teeth. You're going to be the producer. You're going to be the designer. This is going to be a big hit, right? And that's how I got like my first time being in charge of a game. And What's important about that um, is that I found the quickest, cheapest, dirtiest way to make someone feel the emotion the game or the feature was trying to make them feel. And in that instance, it worked. And that Mm. working like led to um, that game being made. And like um, there, you know, so I do this over and over, like features and new game pitches are my thing. 
Um, that's really like where I feel at home is pitching a new feature for like, like I could, I haven't worked on legendary for t three years. I could go pitch a, an elder game feature right now. And I do it the same way with like an interactive slideshow I, I made in principle. Right. Yeah. Um, or, and you know, I'm having this conversation with, with one of the Tetris producers right now, Christian Rodriguez, this guy who's just an amazing designer and producer and leading the, the primary Tetris game we're working on. I do this when we're building prototypes. Like I built a prototype in a spreadsheet this week. Mm -hmm. It's a spreadsheet yeah. and it's pen and paper. And we played it over zoom and we mm -hmm. found the critical design flaw in, in two hours and like that, nice. that could have been four months of coding, but we found it in two hours. And so just like that, that one moment of success has repeating it has, has propelled my career, both in success and in failure. I'm, yeah. I'm just always thinking, how can I put it in someone's hand and try mm. and make the emotion happen and, and see if it works? Yeah, man, that's an amazing story. Hey, ask the last question. How can people reach you? Yeah, uh, I'm very open. Just to hit me up on LinkedIn or on on famous as uh, on Twitter. I'm famous aspect, and like like I said at the top, I'm I'm a part of a, a very small part of this network scale platform team. We have this fifty million dollar fund. We're like looking for entrepreneurs with games out there with metrics who are looking to scale. So like, if you're listening and that sounds like you, just hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, but like, if you're just like, you have a, a prototype or a game concept, you want some friendly advice, you want someone to look at it, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn or famous uh, Twitter. I'm, I'm very open and just like, I just love talking to game developers. Like just this past hour has been, I, I love it. It, <laughs> it really energizes me and brings me a lot of joy. It is fun, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Ethan. This was really a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, take care, man. Thank bye, you. bye. Thanks again, Ethan, for coming on the show. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening to us. And we have a weekly newsletter going out every Friday where I write the stuff that I'm curious about with startups in gaming. Uh, so check that out at EliteGameDevelopers.com newsletter. And I will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.